Welcome back to Friends Like Us. Marina Franklin here, your host. Back from the holidays. I hope you enjoyed your thanks turkey dinner or your vegan turkey meal or your beyond, whatever you did. I hope you enjoyed it. This episode is a great one to chill with. It is a great one to share. Believe in science and the scientists with Dr. Ray. Dr. Ray Wynn Grant, our new friend to the show. She is a wildlife ecologist who researches how human activity influences the behavior of wild animals. Wynn Grant attributes her interest in wildlife and conservation from the nature shows she watched on television as a child. And today, she uses media to increase representation of black scientists and explorers. Ray received her BS in environmental studies from Emory University, her MS in environmental studies from Yale, and her PhD in ecology and evolution from Columbia University. She is a faculty member at the Bren School of Environmental Science and Management at the University of California at Santa Barbara. Ray envisions a near future where the outdoors is a safe, equitably accessible, and positively transformative space for all people. She is a scientist, conservationist, equity, and justice advocate, and storyteller. Make sure to check out her Webby-nominated podcast, Going Wild with Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. Also welcome back my young star, Venice Antoinette. After obtaining her master's degree in TV and media management, she went on to work with the Glass Entertainment Group production company to help successfully produce one of the largest podcasts on Apple, confronting O.J. Simpson, getting over 7 million listeners in its first season. And then she started her business, podcasting, and media group, LLC, to help small business owners and independent podcasters launch their podcast. Check out her podcast. It's called Sip and Spill. I want to thank all of our listeners are friends like us. Because of you, we make some pretty impressive lists. You can hear us on Google Podcasts Now, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcasts. Review and rate us on Apple Podcasts. That's important. Subscribe. Make sure you turn on the auto-download function for Friends Like Us on Apple Podcasts. You can email us at friendslikeuspodcast at gmail. Our Instagram is friendslikeuspodcast, and Twitter is friendslikeustin. Become more than a friend. Leave us a tip or donation by going to our Patreon page. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us. Special shout out to our Patreon friends. It's because of you. We keep going. And now for our golden friends, you have the option to watch a recording live backstage. Go to Patreon backslash friends like us and be golden. Merch is available. We have t-shirts, hoodies, coffee mugs, face masks, tank tops. They're all available on my website. Go to marinafranklin.com and weekly on my YouTube channel. I go live with my assistant, Evelyn Frick, my wacky friend, Dave Jaskow. We give updates for friends like us. We shout out fans who leave us reviews and we have surprise guest friends from the podcast they stop by and sometimes we even offer free stuff like tickets to comedy shows with friends like us it'll help you feel not so alone because more content is on the way tell a friend you know to check us out stay safe wash those dirty little hands wear a mask still if you want to i mean there's so many variants out there there's a flu there's this rsv vcr thing get vaccinated booster up and black lives matter it is such an honor to have 
you on the show, Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. I'm saying everything right. You got it. Dr. Ray Wynn Grant. You can call me Ray. Can I call you Ray? I can go without the doctor? Oh yeah. Call me Ray. Call me Ray. Okay. Please. Well, we're friends. This, I mean, hence the name of this whole show. I know. You know, you know I had someone on the show once before that really got upset when I forgot to call them doctor. And they said it's because that when she's in a room with men, like she'll notice that the men get called doctor and then she'll get called by her first name. So ever since then, I've been like extra like, oh my God, let me make sure I say the doctor. Well, and then I have to say, I agree with this woman because if you're in a group of people and there are several people with a doctorate, I do think it's nice to address them as doctor to kind of distinguish um, because Often that happens to me too. Often I'll, you know, it'll be Dr. So, Dr. So, so Ray, tell us this and this and this. So that does happen. But when you're just like, when you're the only one or when you're amongst friends. Oh, thank you for considering us friends. Fast track. Friends done like us. And done <laughs> and Venice is like my young star. She I'm is back. a podcaster. Yes. Podcaster of Sip and Spill, where we sip on drinks and spill the tea on dating and relationships. I love that. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so excited. Um, Marina had told me about Dr. Ray, but I'll call you Ray since we're in a friend setting. And I was like, oh my goodness, animals. Oh my goodness, everything, science, geology. So I was like, I definitely want to participate. So I'm so excited to talk with you today and learn from you. And um, I also just wanted to acknowledge that I've seen your work and um, I love everything that you're doing. Y'all are so kind. I cannot believe that like science gets you jazzed up. I mean, it does. It works for me. I'm a nerd, but it's so nice to know that you are too. <laughs> Thank you. And full disclosure, like I just finished watching what looked like a TED talk of yours um, because I, you know, I was at, like I was saying before, I was at an Indian wedding. So, you know, I, but I just started crying um, watching you speak. Your presentation was amazing. Uh, also selfishly, because I have to give a presentation and I was like, oh, my God, I got to work on mine. <laughs> <laughs> but this was a this was a while ago, right? This was two. Was it 2018 that you gave this presentation? Well, yeah, I mean, I will say I've never done a TED talk or I haven't yet. Um, but I think my most TED talk like presentation was at this conference that that is no longer and it's called the EG conference. Um, and was I talking about like social justice and bears and um, mortality risk. Yeah, that was really interesting. I, and like kind of a tearjerker, you know, there were people in the audience who were upset, but yeah, it was a while ago. It was really when I was um, <laughs> admittedly going through a lot in my personal life and I was stepping into speaking about social justice as a part of my science. Because they don't necessarily go hand in hand. Like you can do your job without bringing social justice into it if you're a scientist like me. But I wasn't able to be a scientist. I could do science without social justice, but I couldn't be a scientist who didn't do social justice. And that started making a really big difference in my professional spaces. Like my work was one thing, but who I was started becoming more important and it started becoming like a source of conflict. And I'm very proud of myself because instead of kind of shying away from the conflict, I really leaned into it. Um, 
And again, I really don't think it would have happened if it weren't a time in my life when I was leaning into like all kinds of conflict and just trying to like fight stuff that wasn't working and make change. Um, but yeah, it's it's a that was a really interesting talk. I haven't done one like that since. But yeah, I had like it helped because I had a prop, right? And I don't usually have a prop for my presentations, but I had this bear skull, which is cool because it has like the big fangs and it's so big. So even from like the seats, you know, the audience members could see it, but it has a bullet hole in the skull, uh, in the bear skull. And so that's how I kind of talk about it. I'm like, look at this bullet hole in the skull of the bear. And I talk about like, you know, how bears and their need for survival and how we're trying to protect them and how they're really important for our ecosystems and blah, blah, blah. And then, I mean, maybe I shouldn't spoil it. Oh, I don't well, know. You, no, well, you know, I think it's okay to talk about it here because maybe a lot haven't or won't, you know, people, their short attention span. It, but I, I, I thought it was so powerful. It grabbed me. I recommend you check out the speech on her website the speech is just phenomenal. But I do think the comparison of black lives to um, the protection of animals is important specifically because I think that like for some reason, people do respond to animals more than lives in general. Um, I'm guilty of this as well. I joke about it actually on stage, how I care more about animals than people. But um, it was so powerful that you had you admit to having a difficult time as I think scientists need to be more human, uh, especially after everything we've gone through. So it, right. it's a great presentation. It's, yeah, I think kind of the moral of the presentation is that although science is kind of meant to be neutral and not political, scientists aren't. Right. So it's like the science we do can be totally apolitical, but the people we are doing the science like we can't possibly be. And and many of us are politicized. Um, you know, if you're an immigrant in the United States, if you are black or brown, if you are, you know, all kinds of identities like like you might not even be asked to have your identity politicized, but it just is. And so. You know, in my field, there's just so much emphasis on neutrality that it just wasn't fitting at the time. Right. And, and you know, and that was also like during the Trump administration. I mean, there's a lot of stuff going on where I was like, sure, like, but it's not always about our science. It's about scientists. And we need to support if we care about the environment, if we care about science, we need to support scientists and scientists are political people and are not neutral and come from communities that are having extreme disasters and crises. And we need to care about those people in those communities if we're also saying that we care about science. So that was kind of the main message. And it's something that that like continues in a lot of my messaging. But I do kind of want to say, Marina, when you admit that you care, sometimes you find yourself caring more about animals and about people. I think that's a universal feeling, but for adults. Because I think people don't care. I think people care more about children maybe than they do about animals. But when we're talking about adults, often people will be like, yeah, oh, like my heartstrings are going to be pulled for like, you know, a video of like a sweet little animal moment than maybe like adults, but children are different. And so that's like, that's the thing. So I think a lot of us as humans, like we have a relationship to animals, almost like we have a relationship to children, you know, where we would just want to like protect them and nurture them and love them and like hold them tight and make sure they're okay. That's what I think it is. Except for those badass kids. <laughs> There's some kids I'm like, mm, mm. <laughs> 
When I see them <laughs> mistreating animals, I'm like, hey, hey. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead, Vinny. Oh, no, I was going to say, I said, I think for some people, too, especially those who don't have children, their pets or their animals are a substitution for their children. So naturally, they treat their kids that way. I know for me, I don't have kids yet. And I house sit occasionally. And sometimes I'll catch myself talking to, like, the pets that I watch like they're my children. <laughs> So I think it's just natural. (laughs) I think that's normal. I think it, I mean, you know, I don't know. I grew up with pets and they're like your little babies. They are. That's normal. I have to ask you, well, there's not a lot. Even when I was telling people I was having you on the show, I'm like, she's like on like National Geographic. Like how many black women do you see in this field? And everyone was like, yeah, this is crazy. Like, what are you talking about? Who is she? Like, where is the... Where is it? Is it getting better, like, as far as diversity? I mean, we just had Clarence Thomas make this comment last night. It just stayed with me about diversity and saying, he goes, I don't know. He goes, what is that? What what, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, he literally asked the public, like, he was like, I don't understand what diversity is or why it's important or something crazy like that, Mm -hmm. right? Yes. So when it comes to this field, where are we? And like... Why are we not in this field? I mean, maybe you could speak to that. That's a big question, but. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have a lot to say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, So there's a lot of good news. There's so much good news. I have to say that I know a large number of, and let's just use Black women as an example. I know a large number of Black women who are either wildlife professionals now or are in school to become wildlife ecologists or conservation scientists, Um, like more than on two hands, right? Like I know folks. And yet when I was in school and, you know, I'll just put it out there, I'm 37. So I don't know, it was like 17 years ago or something. I was in school 20 years ago, like when I was in college, um, I didn't know anybody. I mean, I was the only black person in my environmental science department. I was the only black person in the environmental science departments, like I went to school in Atlanta. So like all the Atlanta universities around, I was the only person I knew. When I was in grad school, I'd show up at conferences and I'd be the only black person. And in fact, that's where that bear skull story comes from because I was at, I was doing at the end of my PhD and I was at this major ecology conference and there was this tragedy going on in, in America, but in particular for the black community. And I was the only black person and there was thousands of people there, you know, so things have definitely changed. There are like, you know, it's not like this diversity issue has gone unnoticed. And I'll just add that it's not just important because it's the right thing to do, but also a lot of like wildlife conservation is done like in developing nations around the world that are primarily black and brown. Right. Like think about elephants or lions or giraffes or zebra. I mean, think about all the African wildlife. Think of all the Asian, South American wildlife. And yet the work, the science is driven, you know, largely by like white Western people. And so there's so many reasons to diversify this field outside of it being the right thing to do. But even just having the representation of people from these places, from these cultural groups, you know, driving it is really important. So there's been major, major change, major progress, not enough. And there's also just so many barriers to this career. Some of them are very obvious and some of them are very, very subtle as barriers can be. You know, one is that like, like kind of to your point, Marina, like a lot of people don't even know you can be a wildlife ecologist as a job, right? People think of like science and they're like, great, white lab coat, like 
pipetting chemicals in a lab. You know, that's what a scientist is. A lot of people don't know, like you can be a rigorous scientist who hikes around the wilderness looking for wild animals, you know, every day. And of course, I know that because I am a nature nerd, but I don't think the public knows that. They think scientists are just one thing. Or if you ask little kids, like, name a scientist, you know, they'll say Albert Einstein, <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, and then you Bill say, like, okay, Nye. name someone else, uh, name a living scientist, you know, and they'll, yeah, maybe Bill Nye, like <laughs> I would say that. And then some scientists would argue like he was a scientist, but he's not active in research anymore. I think that's BS. I think once a scientist, always a scientist. But there's a lot of barriers. Like one is just awareness, you know, that like this is a field of study Two, like awareness of like how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, what's the, what's it's not the, like you what's can go the to major like because I'm trying to well, think like when I was in school I was like okay psychology only because I couldn't major in theater. I so did a psych it? in my undergrad too. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things where it's like you know it's so much easier to understand the path to being a lawyer because you're like I have to go to law school, you know, or a doctor. I have to go to med school or like a business person. I have to go to business school or whatever it is, dentist, nurse, you know, whatever. But for like a wildlife scientist, you're like, is there a wildlife scientist school? But there kind of is. So there are like professional master's programs for the environment. I went to a school for my master's called the Yale School of the Environment. Okay. So like go there, you're going to come out like an environmental professional, you know, and there's like a number of schools like that at the graduate level. But again, they're not super racially diverse because like the awareness isn't there. There's a lot of, you know, invisible barriers. A lot of us think like, I could never go to school like that. I had those thoughts for a long time. Not only did I get in, but like I got a full scholarship. It didn't cost me any money to go to grad school, not a dime, you know? So there's just a lot of, a lot of ways that society is not prepping or encouraging people from diverse groups to get into this field. And it's a huge, huge failure. So I really try to use like some of the ways that I'm visible, you know, out there to encourage folks to like, if this excites you, like get on this path because we need more people. Like wild animals aren't doing so great. (laughs) So like we really do need more people in this field, like more energy, like more ideas, more perspectives, you know. And wild animals also lead to environmental racism, right? Like, it's not just what you do is also about protecting animals, but it's also about landscaping environments and where people live and, you know, how water, we'll get into all that. But I was just, I was so moved by your speech to, I mean, just back to that, because it's like, where I was, where was I recently? I was in Vermont. They had a, uh, I love Vermont. And I, I just go there because I'm at an age now where I like to see things die in a beautiful way. So foliage is very fascinating for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, have you seen all of the like the call outs? I don't know. My social media, like all my algorithms are just environment. But there's all these call outs right now, like this month and this week to like, don't throw away your pumpkin. Like, don't bag up your leaves when you rake them off your lawn, you know, because everyone is like, please let these things decompose. Like, please. Like, it is important. Every leaf you rake up and put in a plastic bag to get picked up, like, should be, like, on that lawn decomposing and turning into soil, you know? Really? Oh, yeah. Like, there's, like, there's like headlines. Again, it's all about that algorithm you got, but it's, like, there are major call-outs this year for kind of the first time telling the public, like, all that landscaping that we were taught 
like is good is horrible for the environment. Like you should just let the leaves fall and rot on your lawn. And it's like so that pretty. is healthy. Yeah, it's really nice. Why do they, it's oh, really they nice. so Venice, did you know that? No. No, I did not. <laughs> You're in Pennsylvania. She's in Pennsylvania. Yeah. I'm in New York. So you've got the beautiful foliage mm-hmm. falling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fall is my favorite time of the year. So I've been really enjoying like the autumn colors. Um, but no, I did not know that. I oh I was having this conversation recently with um one of my friends about like um graveyards because of the fact that our mm. bodies are naturally supposed to go back into the soil, but because mm-hmm. of the way that the um, I'm sorry, I'm I'm going blank. The right coffins, now. Are yes, like that's really, the word. Yeah. Sorry, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but mm-hmm. the way that the coffins are, they're not eco friendly. So it's kind of like your body decomposes inside of something that won't allow it to go into nature. So I'm curious to see how that's going to affect us in the future because now we have all of these coffins just sitting in soil taking up space when they're supposed to be decomposing and going back into the soil and back into nature. Yeah, isn't that interesting? I mean, if you think about it, like the way that the Western world has created some some like traditions or some strategies has been to like use land as if it's a renewable resource like if it's not finite like we do that with like the landfill you know Mm -hmm. like the dump like we just were like oh good let's just put all the trash here because we have more land elsewhere like absolutely not we do not have that much land to just dump trash on or to put nuclear waste on but also to your point like with graveyards and coffins like there are billions of people on this planet Mm -hmm. right today like if all almost eight billion people like died and were put in a coffin like that uses a lot of land space and then there's going to be more and more and more and so it's just not it's a very like like selfish kind of self-centered way of thinking about space. It's almost like property ownership, right? It's almost like like land. Like I own this land that my coffin is in. So it can just be like that forever. So, you know, there are folks out there trying to solve that problem saying, let's make coffins that decompose or let's not do coffins and do some other kind of beautiful ceremonial thing where the body just goes in the ground or you know there then there are ways um oh yeah because you have to deal with religion because some people can't get cremated right mm-hmm. 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 you know and it's one of those it's one of those things that i imagine at some point folks won't have a choice right at some point maybe it's like a couple generations from now everyone's just gonna have to chill out with their idea of what happens after they die and just you know go in the ground and decompose but you know bring it back to something that we can all do today like you can let the leaves on your front lawn just sit there get snow to cover them that's the exact right thing it allows them to get all wet and moist and damp and it'll just decompose that's a normal way take your pumpkin make a little pile start a compost whatever you want to do or like slice it up into pieces and scatter it around but like let all these things decompose let the earthworms do their job but like the landfill isn't the answer there's too much plastic in there you know so nothing can like decompose if it's just full of plastic bags you know what i mean so if you have something natural, it's like, that's a resource. That's precious. You know, figure I, out what to do with it. I saw something on your Instagram that you said about, is it panda bears used to be carnivores? Is it panda bears? Uh, 
You did such good research. You we, I know love how what to you press do. My buttons in like the right way. I'm like, I will geek out over like bear evolution facts all day. <laughs> Only because uh, I'm trying to be a vegan. I mean, I'm a. I failed lately. Oh. I had a lot of cheese this week. Look, people <laughs> do not accept that you're a vegan, and then they just put it on you. And and now they see me cheat one time. And now they're like, oh, you'll eat chicken or you'll have cheese. And I'm like, I really don't want it, though. And it's not just because of um, just it's one. I do love animals, but two, it's also my body and healthy. I just feel so much better. I look better when I don't eat meat and cheese. Um, But with pandas, like the fact that they were carnivores and now they're. What is that? Yeah. So we have some evidence. So, okay. So first of all, like we, most of us know that pandas live in China only, like in the mountains of Eastern China in these bamboo forests. And they just spend all day eating bamboo. They have a wonderful bamboo eating life. They spend 12 hours a day eating bamboo, 12 hours a day sleeping, like rinse and repeat. It's glorious for them. And, you know, bamboo is like pretty high in protein. Like to make a panda nice and fat, they have to eat tons of it, but it is legit. Like as as far as veganism goes, like it's pretty high in protein, right? It has good nutrients. But all bears are carnivores, right? Um, and that's like a, like, that's part of like what we call, we have a taxonomy, you know, and like evolutionary trees. And so there's an order in the taxonomic system called carnivora, the order carnivore. And everything in carnivore is a carnivore. So all the species of bears are carnivores. But like, how can you be a carnivore if you don't eat meat, if you just eat plants all day? Well, two things, like one, it looks like pandas eat some insects along with the bamboo. Like there might be like tons of ants on one bamboo stalk and they just eat it all up. So like that counts, that's an animal. But two, it looks like pandas have everything they need to eat meat if they wanted to. Like they have the sharp bangs and teeth and claws to kill. And then they also have the digestive enzymes and like the gut microbiome to digest meat if they had it. And so that signals to us that perhaps early pandas, like many, 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 many generations ago, lived in some kind of different space where they did hunt and they did eat meat and they did digest it, but they just kind of adapted to their new environment. So then it leaves us questioning like, did they willingly like come to this new bamboo forest and then we're like, cool, great, let's stay here and just eat plants? Or was there some kind of like human pressure or some other kind of pressure that forced them to relocate into these bamboo forests and then eat? So it's great that they survived. It also means that they could probably do the reverse and like live somewhere else and like have a more balanced diet. Um but, you know, like, I just think it's interesting that you bring it into veganism because you can use the animal kingdom to make a good argument for veganism. Not as much with carnivores like bears, but if you think of like the biggest, you know, land animals, right? Like think of like elephants, giraffes, like rhinos, like those big, powerful, massive, long-lived animals. They're all vegetarian. I mean, ve you know, vegans, they just eat plants. So... You know, they're healthy, they're strong, they're huge, and they're smart. They're really, really smart animals, and they don't eat any meat. I just feel like it's also a sign that they're telling us something. Like, if we could do it, you can't. Because the environment is part of why you also become vegan. A lot of people don't. Anyway, I could go on about that. I was well, I mean, curious. I could go on, too. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I was saying, I, I was always curious about, like, humans being carnivores because of the fact that like when you look at animals that have to survive from meat 
like you mentioned before, they have the fangs, they have the claws, mm-hmm. they have everything mm-hmm. they need in order to hunt for those things. But for humans, when you look at our natural, like what we have, our teeth aren't sharp enough to like go and bite into a cow. Like our hands are, you know, we have hands which is fair. That's something they don't. But they have claws that can really rip your throat out. And we don't have well, those I'm looking things. at your, I mean, those I, nails. Yes, I do. But <laughs> <laughs> well, you look at my nails. But, <laughs> but like, you know you what have... I mean? So I was always curious by that. I'm pescatarian and I also don't eat dairy really. So I'm like on the border of practically being vegan. But um, yeah, I always wondered that. And then even when I think about like me being pescatarian, I'm like, I guess that kind of makes sense because fish are easy for a human to hunt. So I could see how that would be something that we could eat but even chicken like chicken is something that I can make sense of because it's small it's something that we can grab but eating like cows and like these massive animals I just don't feel like naturally it's supposed to fit our bodies oh I don't know what people are gonna say in the comments of this episode but (laughs) like it's honestly a hot topic like and it all goes back like if if we're basing it in evolution it really goes back to to early humans, right? So not like Homo sapiens as we are today with like technology and weapons and stuff that can help us. But like early humans, you know, were like the ancient primates that we evolved from. They did not eat a lot of meat. They didn't do very much hunting. Like again, maybe some insects, like they might pick up a caterpillar, you know, and or a cricket and Let me tell you, those are very high in protein. Probably the ones that ate more insects, you know, were able to pass on their genes better. And we probably evolved from those guys. Right. But they weren't they weren't like out like, you know, spearing, you know, like wild boars or something because they didn't have those technologies. So. It was definitely like fruit, like let's eat fruit, let's eat like grasses and leaves, like anything that's like high in protein is probably what they got. So again, like for our bodies today, we now know we don't need, I'm using air quotes for the audience, like we don't need animal protein to be healthy and thrive. Like it doesn't hurt, right? So like having animal protein in moderation, like can also make us healthy and strong, but it's not something we need. But what we need is a balanced diet. So you can't like be a vegan who doesn't get enough protein or B vitamins or fiber or whatever. You know, you can't eat French fries all day and like be a healthy vegan, you know, as much as we may want to. (laughs) So it's all about like, you know, figuring out what that balance is and then what makes you your best self and what's going on at the cellular level for you. In your opinion, how soon do... Because I I keep seeing this conversation coming up about how insects is going to be very soon, like the major protein that we get, like it's going to be normalized in our dishes. How soon do you see that coming? You know what? It's so funny because... I think your question is more like, how soon do I see it coming for like American societies? Because yes, yes, in like yes, so many I will societies, because like, I have traveled yeah. internationally mm-hmm. and they do already incorporate. Like I've had insects when I've left the country already. So mm-hmm. yeah, mm-hmm. I mean in the states, same, <laughs> same. Like a couple of years ago, I was in the Congo basin in Central Africa, and just like on the side of the street, you know, traveling places, they'd have these big grubs, like big larvae, you know, that were like roasted over the fire, and I. I am an adventurous eater. I like try to, you know, when in Rome, do what the Romans do. But I could not bring myself to eat a a cooked larvae. And I know that it doesn't taste like a gross, like raw 
you know, like grub. But I really, I, I surprised myself. In fact, I just like couldn't bring myself to do it. I was like, if I were starving, <laughs> if I were very hungry, maybe I would. But I can't do it in this moment. I have my little protein bar that's like nice and in my comfort zone. <laughs> well, did they make <laughs> the larvae look better? I mean, it kind of looks like barbecued. So, you know, like burnt, you know, not burnt, but like, you know, browned and, you know, maybe not a lot of sauce, which is just like simple, like a, like a, like a shish kebab. Right. So it's like it looks like it's cooked. Um, but again, that's just like one of those cultural differences. You know, I've, you may have been in places um, where, you know, folks eat like crickets, like popcorn, mm-hmm. you know, just that's like exactly kind of like what I had. Was a cricket. Yeah. And, <laughs> and you have it and you're kind of like, oh, this is fine. I went to a fancy dinner recently where this chef brought ingredients from the Amazon rainforest and he does it to kind of promote like, you know, consciousness around biodiversity in the Amazon. And he brought ants, like fire, like like leaf cutter ants and kind of like just put them. They weren't cooked. They were raw, like they were dead, but they were oh, raw no. on top of a little like appetizer. And they tasted like ginger. Mm. And so you like ate it and it's like, wow, it tastes like ginger. It was like crunchy, very hard and crunchy and like a strong ginger flavor. Like it even like got in your nose. So yeah. So anyway, the point of this is that like there are many places in the world where eating insects like is an acceptable, totally normal thing. It's being promoted right now to Western cultures like ours because it could be a solution where people like need, because we use so many like fillers, right? Like there's so many places where we're like inserting like soy protein or, you know, just stuff in things. Like we have so many like manufactured, you know, kind of products. And insects don't require the space, like the land space to grow and cultivate. Like we know that like cows and livestock require a lot of space, a lot of land, a lot of resources, but also so do a lot of crops, like growing soy, growing corn, like that takes up a lot of space, a lot of water, you know, a lot of cutting down of rainforest to like have these plantations. And insects are not that resource heavy. So it both is like a good source of protein. Insects can be like pollinators and offer all these great things to the world. And also they don't use a lot of space. So I'm I'm for it. Like I'm I'm ready. You know, so, I'm not ready to sit down to like a cricket <laughs> burger. But like <laughs> if I don't, the time comes, so I'm while ready. we're talking about I I don't think this is the Congo, but it's in Indonesia. This one story, when I was on the plane coming from the Indian wedding, I always look at Newser because it gives me like really crazy stories about how people died and well that's the news basically but then i saw this story and i was blown away a python swallows a woman at a plantation in indonesia a 54 year old woman named jara was found dead in the stomach of a seven meter long python at a rubber indonesian rubber plantation her husband reported her missing last sunday morning when she went to work on the plantation and did not return home in the evening he called for others to help as he discovered her sandals jacket headscarf and work tools and a python was spotted nearby the following morning what the hell so the pythons, uh, you know, they swallow their foods whole and typically they eat smaller animals. Cases of humans being swallowed are extremely rare. In 2018, a woman was swallowed by a giant python on the island of Muna. And so was a farmer in the village of, I, I'm bad at pronunciation, but Salubiro a year prior. However, many more people are affected by snake bites. And according to the World Health Organization, who there are about 5.4 million cases of snake bites per year between. 1.8 and 2.7 million of which lead to poisoning what what's what's how do you avoid that like why why 
I don't have nothing to say except for that is just like not it's like snakes on a plane, but snakes on a rubber plant. I know it that that's quite a story. And, you know, for let me just kind of broaden it a little bit like humans being killed by wild animals is rare, period. Right. Like not just snakes, but just like take any species of wild animal, like a human dying from this animal is pretty rare, you know, save like mosquitoes or something because humans die from mosquito bites all the time. But, you know, I think the thing that we need to kind of remember is that a lot of pythons bite first. So it's not like this woman like slowly like was alive and like slowly got swallowed. Like she, the python probably killed her first, like with a bite. Like some of like reticulated pythons will bite first. Could have bit her on the neck. She could have kind of bled out, like whatever that, you know, that could have happened. And then the snake was like, bet she's dead. I'm going to eat her. Right. So like that's they have that thought likely process. how it happened. <laughs> kind of like with like like boa constrictors, right? Like they they first like squeeze their prey to death so that they can't breathe anymore. And once they're dead, then they like let go and then eat the whole thing. So I just think that might give a little more context because like I think we're all afraid of snake bites. Right. Like everyone in the world is afraid of a snake bite. And so like imagine a gigantic pythons bite. I mean, that would absolutely like if not injure you. So you're incapacitated to fight it off like it might kill you. And then and then she got eaten. It's very tragic. It's so tragic. tragic. Yeah. And she was Mm -hmm. and she was found whole like she wasn't like like they were able to pull her out. And then they. So this is okay. So I always say this on the show, like Mm -hmm. the python was just being a python. So when they kill, I guess they kill the python to to obviously get her back for the family. That makes more sense to me than what they do with bears. Like, I don't understand Mm. or even alligators or I get alligators and crocodiles confused because I know crocodiles are in Australia. Well, they're right? they're confusing. Yeah, they're they're very confusing. They could be different, but yeah, we have alligators in the United States. Yeah, and crocodiles are in Australia. But like alligators, like they when they kill alligators, I'm like the alligator doesn't know. Like he's just being an alligator. You know? Oh gosh. See, it's hard for me to have conversations like this because I have like a scientific perspective and then I also have a personal opinion. Okay, give and me they're both not if that's exactly okay. the same. Yeah. So my scientific perspective is that, you know, many animals are smart and they can learn behaviors. And so if an animal preys on a person, it's more likely that they'll do it again. It's not usually normal for them. Like, it's not like they're like, oh, human, just like a deer, like same thing. Like, no, it's very, very rare that they will see a human as potential prey. But again, maybe if it's an injured human, a sleeping human, a, you know, I don't know, something is off, like they're very, very hungry, whatever it is. But if they're successful one time, there's reason to believe they can learn the behavior and do it again. So that's my scientific perspective. And then and then personally, I hate to see an animal killed. I really like, I, I mean, again, maybe this goes back to us like loving animals like we do like children. I always like to see someone get a second chance, you know, like, give, come on, let's give them a second chance to redeem themselves. So I really do hate the policies that say, okay, if a wild animal like a you know, crocodile kills somebody or, or eats somebody, you know, then we have to kill them. It's the same with bears though, bears in the United States. So if a bear attacks a human, so bears very rarely eat people. They might attack people and kill them, but the consuming of a human 
almost never happens in the bear community. Um, but we have policies almost everywhere in this country that say if a bear kills somebody or even attacks somebody, like they've got to go. We got to kill that bear. I think it's a little tragic, but it's, you know, it's like, it's, you know, I don't know. There's a lot of gray area. Yeah, because that's why I put this article in here. And that's why I was bringing up Vermont, because when I was in Vermont, the friends that I stayed with, they just had a bear that was on their um, porch. They had they didn't they're new to Vermont, so they didn't know not to put like honey. <laughs> they had like Nutri-Grain bars that were made of honey. Oh, no. And they put it on their porch and they didn't realize they forgot. Like, so the bear t didn't do anything but take the, the bucket and go behind their, I forget what you call that, the outdoor shed and hid behind it and just, you know, had a good meal. And that's it. Which is like, that to me is like a cute story. But then they told me when we were going to walk, like, it's interesting. I was with my friend. She's Irish. I'm black. They were like, yeah, it's hunting season. And I didn't go for a walk by myself because I was like, no, my mm -hmm. friend was like, oh, it's beautiful. Let's go. She goes, Marina, it's beautiful. I'm going to go for a walk. Do you want to go? I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to be mistaken for one of those bears. And then I realized the, like from your speech again, I was like just the understanding of that. And then I really felt bad for the bears. And I was like, why? In Vermont, in Vermont, you know, why would you... What do they feel like they need to do? Like, why are they, why are they doing this? You know, I, again, <laughs> have a personal opinion and a professional, you know, like, you know, kind of perspective here. But in general, it's hard for me to get into hunting. You know, part of that is cultural, right? Like as like an urban black woman, I'm just, it's not really part of my like life or focus area. But also for, for some hunting, like bear hunting, it's not subsistence. Like people aren't like hunting bears and eating them for dinner, right? Like you might do with a duck. Someone might like hunt a duck and then make a meal. You know, someone might hunt a deer and then make some venison, you know, or hunt an elk. I mean, I've had a lot of elk chops from my hunter friends. You know, with bears, like there are some people who will claim that they make a mean bear stew, but for the most part, it's a trophy <laughs> hunt. No, I'm serious. It's like bear stew. Bears? Like you have to stew it. It's like not a lot, not a lot these days. Wow. I did not know but that you was could a thing. stew the meat. Some people say it's good. Most people say it is not good. Um, but it's mostly a trophy hunt. So usually people hunt bears to like get a big one, right? And then have your bearskin rug or mount it or whatever, you know? So so that's where I really struggle to get behind bear hunting because it's like a like a sport, right? Like you like you're in it to win the the sport, to the game. Um and I really do think of it as like lives, you know, like a, like a real life of an animal. Now, that's my personal opinion. Professionally, a lot of my work is to do like the data crunching, like the data analysis and the statistics to figure out whether a population of bears can withstand hunting. Like, okay, Ray, go out into this forest, figure out, like estimate how many bears live there, how many females, how many of reproductive age, how many cubs, and figure out like how many could be hunted without harming the population, right? So like how many bears can we hunt for the population to keep growing or be stable? And so usually I have an answer. Usually I'm like, okay, you can hunt this many, you can hunt a hundred or you can hunt 10 or, you know, whatever it is. And so personally in my heart, I'm like, no, don't do it. Don't do it. I love these bears. Don't hunt them. But, 
you know, as a scientist, again, and here's where like science is neutral. I'm like, well, according to my calculations, we could take a hundred of these animals and the population would still grow, you know, like into the future. So that, you know, that's one of those things where like I have to, I'm kind of proud of myself sometimes where I'm like, I can do my job <laughs> without my like political leanings getting in the way. But if someone asks me my opinion, I will speak on it. No one asks. Fine. But like, if I get asked, like, I'm not going to stay quiet. That's fascinating because science then can sort of ease the the pain of, of, of that, I call it violence, towards bears. <laughs> I mean, it's like, it's what's interesting is that science throughout history has been used for both good and evil. Right. And, and that's what, that's why I do think it's important for scientists to have an opinion and to speak up when they feel that they need to. Right. Like, like the person who invented, you know, explosives, like was doing chemistry and was like making a discovery. And that was like really cool science. That person wasn't like, let's kill people with this, you know, like let's like manufacture it and sell it and use it as a weapon. But they were like, whoa, like this plus this equals like this. Let, let me write it in a paper. So, you know, there's so many examples of how science discoveries have been used to hurt. And so again, I just really think that like morals and values and societal morals and values really come into play. And then when it comes to like people's identities, you know, and communities, like that's important. I don't think it should stay separate. And that kind of puts me in a minority, <laughs> especially in my field, that I think that like our personal viewpoints should come into play. But you know, that's where I stand. And not everyone agrees with me, but, you know, like, especially as a millennial Black woman, you know, in this world, like, so much, my, my identity as a Black woman impacts, like, every minute, every second of my day, you know, of my life. So why would it not impact my science work, too? Have you ever come across a situation where you felt like you couldn't do your job because your morals were so against what you were asked to do? Oh, wow. Um, no, not yet. Not yet. I'm happy to say not yet. But I do have a I have a friend who's a black woman scientist who has a story like that. And I'll kind of spoil it. But but this is a good time for me to flag my podcast because my friend, Dr. Aaron McGee, tells a story on season two of my podcast, which is called Going Wild with Raywin Grant. So if you look, listen to the Aaron McGee episode, she studies lizards and she's one of the most popular lizard scientists like around right now. She's a herpetologist. And she had this issue where she was trying to figure out what a certain type of lizard eats in southeastern Arizona. Because in order to like do conservation to like keep this species from going extinct, you have to figure out like what does it need to even survive. And scientists didn't know what it ate. And so the, the practices at that time to figure out what lizards ate involved like killing a lizard, like finding a lizard killing it and then like cutting open its stomach to see what's in its stomach. And that's how they figured out what it ate. Or another practice was to like find a lizard, capture it and basically like, like shove so much water down its throat that it throws up like all of its stomach contents. Isn't that like horrifying? And this was like, nor this is to this day, like still like normal practice for like getting data from, doesn't that just sound like 
awful abuse. Like I was shocked to learn this. And Erin was shocked to learn this too, even though she was a grad student. She was the only black woman in her department, the only black woman that her advisor had ever worked with. And she was brave enough to say like, hey, I am not comfortable with this. Like there's gotta be another way that we can get this information about what they're eating other than like torturing or either killing or torturing these animals. And I won't spoil it, but she found a really great solution um, that doesn't involve doing anything like that to the lizards. And so, I mean, I just think that's amazing because that wasn't part of her job. Like she wasn't asked to come up with a new technique, but her morals and values said like, I really want to study lizards. I really want to answer these research questions, but I can't hurt these guys. I can't do it. And she pioneered a whole new method. And I just think it's tremendous. So listen to that episode from Going Wild with Dr. Raywin Grant because, you know, and just also reach out to Erin McGee on social media and Thank her for her I service. Was, I am going to be a new listener. This says here, Webby nominated podcast. Ooh, so get is. to it and listen. And it's also the best black podcast by Essence. Whenever Essence gets ding, involved, ding, ding. when those women like you, <laughs> you're gold. I'm trying to get them to, to like me again. I'm very grateful to the folks at Essence. They, I really appreciate that. Yeah. It's the best new pot. I'm like, Essence, can you can you like Friends Like Us just a little bit again? <laughs> Essence, Friends Like Us, Friends Like Us. <laughs> so with bears and bear attacks, because we're hearing those more often, what can you do? Now, I always joked about it. I was in Alaska years ago. I don't know the difference. I always get the confused, confusion. I remember someone telling me that it's the brown bears you have to worry about, not the black bear. I couldn't remember which one it was. I think it's the brown bears are are dangerous you know you could tell yeah me. i yeah yeah you're all, you're hitting it so brown bears are typically more aggressive than black bears so you don't want to have an interaction with either of them <laughs> but a black bear is you're more likely to be able to like scare it off um without having a fight <laughs> than a brown bear so what are some of the things you can do if you encounter a bear besides like pretending you're dead or pooping yourself because those are the two things i i got you know <laughs> and you're not alone um so so for both species of bears the best thing you can do is like be preventative you know like just don't have a bear encounter and so there are ways to do that like if you're in bear country if you're hiking or recreating in the outdoors like be with a friend or two right like like bear attacks almost always occur when someone is alone they rarely, if ever, occur when there's two or more people. So like even just having one buddy like reduces your risk of a bear attack, you know, by orders of magnitude. Um, but also like say you are alone, like make sure to make lots of noise. So you might have to look like a, you know, like a slightly like sick person who like you're like waving your arms in the air, you're hooting and hollering on your hike, you're singing a loud song, you're like banging sticks together, you're saying, hello, animals, I am here and I am fumbling through the woods and I'm not going to catch you off guard. Um the other thing is to carry bear spray. So bear spray is a lot like mace or pepper spray. It just kind of like is stronger and works farther. So it's supposed to shoot a very, very far distance. Okay, And yes. that is really good. So you don't spray bear spray when the bear is like... Because like <laughs> then you get close sprayed, to right? You, right, yeah. Like you spray it as, again, like preventative to prevent it from coming close to you. So like if you see a bear and you're frightened, go ahead and do your bear spray. Like even if it is like 30 yards away, go ahead and do 
do it. It makes like a wall of it's basically like oh, pepper. That's why those and hiking it's very guys, irritating. That recent story about those college guys hiking, they used the bear spray and they said it didn't work, but it sounds like they were already being attacked. Right. That's right. A lot of people think it's like a weapon that you use to like fight someone off or like, you know, how we use pepper spray, right? Like if someone is like, you know, grabbing your arm, you like spray them in the face. No, you're not going to spray a bear in the face with bear spray because that will also incapacitate you. You spray it when you have a long distance and it basically creates a wall and hopefully the wind is working in your direction. So the bear is probably just going to like stand there and stare at you and maybe like kind of like grunt at you a little. But eventually the spray kind of reaches the bear and the bear is like, oh shit, like, uh, this is terribly irritating. I'm going to go the other way. So hike with friends, make a lot of noise, bring bear spray and use it early. Don't use it like when an attack is happening. That's the best preventative measure. But then if you are being attacked by a bear, if it's a black bear, you know, make yourself like if it's approaching you aggressively, back away slowly. So you're going to be kind of like signaling to the bear with your body language, like I am not here to hurt you don't worry about me. I get the message. I'm leaving. You back away slowly. Don't turn your back, but you like face it and you back away. You might take off your jacket and like hold it over your head so you look big. So you're like, not only am I big, but I'm backing away to give you your space. For a brown bear or grizzly bear, you will still back away slowly, but you will not make yourself big and intimidating. You will make yourself small. So you might crouch down real low as you back away slowly to be like, I'm not worth it. I'm nothing. I'm no Nobody. Don't worry about me. I'm getting out of here. Is that where you put yourself? It'll make, like you're always going to be scared. Like a lot of people think like, oh, if I do these things, I won't feel terrified. No, you're going to be terrified. You're going to be scared. If you're encountering like a, a huge, ferocious wild animal, like your instincts are going to be scared. I have had these interactions. I have like had aggressive bears like confront me and I've had to like do everything I'm saying while my heart is racing and tears are streaming down my face and I'm like praying to God that I don't die. So, you know, if you're scared, it doesn't mean you're doing something wrong. It just means you're having the right reaction. But more often than not, people have these scary interactions with bears and they come out just fine. Because really, bears are not in the business of attacking us and hurting us. Like, they have better things to do. Oh, my goodness. You've you had this, shaken. Well, like, I'm just... Because I'm just thinking you've had these interactions. Was there someone around just in case? Like, were you by yourself? I, I Yeah. Yeah. With bears, it's always been when I've been like an idiot and like doing things wrong and by myself without my bear spray, you know, oh, just like no. making mistakes and then suffering the consequences. Oh, thank God. Um, you're still here. But I've had experiences like, I, you know, I used to do a lot of research um, in East Africa. And so I've had a lot of experience with like lions where I'm just like camping at night and there are wild animals or lions like circling the tent and I haven't been alone. Um, but it kind of doesn't matter in that situation if you're alone or not because you're like, I might be dead in a second. <laughs> There's a lion outside my tent, like <laughs> alone or not alone. This could be the end. Oh my God, a lion. What was your scariest encounter with an animal? Uh, oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so I have to, I just have to plug the podcast again. because. No, for season one of my podcast, the number one most downloaded episode was our episode called Near Death Experiences. And it's like, I think people like, like saw the list of episodes and they're like, that one. Like, <laughs> That's the one. one. She almost died. <laughs> That's why this four is like, times. Bernice, Bernice is like, get to it. We want it. <laughs> 
So if you listen to near-death experiences, you will hear some horrifying stories, things that will never happen to me again. A lot of people are like, oh my gosh, like how do you go back into the wilderness after something like that? And I'm like, this will never happen again. I will guarantee that I do not put myself in a situation where this happens again. But I have stories about almost being attacked and killed by bears, by lions. Um, There's a red spitting cobra story that is particularly horrifying because something did happen. Red spitting cobras, you know, cobras, they have like that, that hood and they come like they arch back, they have the hood. Well, red spitting cobras have these fangs and they spit venom into your eyes and it makes you blind. And that's how they get you because then they're, you're blind and you can't see us. and then you fall over and you hurt yourself. It is, wait, why should I take a picture of us, Venice? Because right now, wait, hold on. Let me take a picture of us. Venice, do it again because I'm like, Oh, oh my God. This is such a good picture. Because <laughs> this is like so crazy. I'm like, <laughs> oh no, no. <laughs> oh, look at this picture. Oh my gosh, that is so funny. <laughs> but I have to say, so listen to the podcast episode and you will get the stories of when I've almost died. And none of these things will happen again ever. I guarantee it. There's no way. They, like it was like enough to teach me my lesson. Let's just say that. You're a working mother. So what is it like being a mother in this field? Like, you do you feel like you can't be like, I have to get, I have someone to have to get back to. I used to do a joke on stage, like, I don't have any kids. So my excuse is never like in a situation where it's dangerous. You know, people say, I have two kids I, at home, please. You know, I've got a family. I don't have anything. So I just go, well, I deserve to live. But <laughs> <laughs> does it change your perspective out there? You know, it does. I mean, it's so funny. Like, so often I'll get through like interviews. I've talked about all this like adventurous, crazy stuff I do. And then I'll be like, so I have two little girls. And people are like, what? Like record scratch. Like, how does that add up? Um, You know, it's, it's interesting because of course, like I like want to live like, like kids or no kids. <laughs> like I, I would prefer to be alive. And also like my work is in service of everything living. Like I'm trying to keep like all things like alive and healthy and thriving, right? Like I only have the near-death experiences when I'm making a big mistake and that happens. So I try to like kind of tell people, mostly like my parents, you know, and family members that like I could be a firefighter, right? Like that is objectively more dangerous than being a wildlife ecologist. Like, yes, I go camping with lions, but also like running into burning buildings, like I think you are more likely to die. So it's like a lot of it is just kind of like perspective and like familiarity and, you know, wild animals are very unpredictable, you know, so that kind of brings us caution. But um, motherhood has not changed my work very much. I will say I, you know, my kids may like have to write a memoir one day about what it was like to grow up with a mom who was like across the world take, you know, like with wild animals, but it hasn't changed me too, too much. My husband is a stay at home dad. And so the only reason I'm able to do what I do as a mom is because like there is a consistent parent at home because I'm away for sometimes weeks at a time, you know, and like I can't like FaceTime like when I'm like in the wilderness, I can't like 
like text and like say, hey. Um, so, you know, shout out to all the black men out there who are stay at home dads, like holding it down. My husband does that. And it's, you know, a game changer. Gorgeous husband, but, by the way. I'm not going to lie. I was like, oh, he's fine. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like the, how they did Obama. You. Remember? And he was like, Michelle uh-huh. needs to know. I was like, when I was looking at your Instagram, I was like, oh, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> she got him. Thank you. I agree. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I do. I like, I'm always like, this man is You're both beautiful. adorable. You're a beautiful couple. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank now, you um, I I don't want to keep you too long. Um, I mean, I could ask you. I could, you know, we could be here all day. We have so much to talk about. I this could is ask so you because I am a cat person, so I'll ask you that real mm. fast. I mean, like, I do. I am curious about your work with. Let's see. I didn't really come up with a specific question. Maybe Venice, you could help me because I am a cat lady. Um, mm. So in your experience with cats and the day, like how in the world, we just talked about bears, how mm-hmm. in the world with big cats, like I, I'm trying to think, I'm, I mean, is it the same with like a little cat as far as like being careful around them? <laughs> I barely moved with Ooh. my cat. Cats are so interesting too, because they're just, they evolve. Like you can actually see like a small cat all the way up to like a tiger. Yeah, they're so But you primal, can also see how similar they are and how they mm-hmm. react to things and things of that nature. Is that what you're kind of getting at, Marina? Yes. Yeah. Like especially in a situation of danger, I would just probably not move, I'm thinking. Yeah. So I will say I so my my current research project, I'm studying mountain lions um, in a protected area on the central coast of California. And these mountain lions are fascinating. They're amazing. Um, I have reason to believe they are coming out of the mountains and walking down through the forest and coming onto the beach like the California beach and snatching up elephant seal pups and then like hauling their dead carcasses back on inland and eating them. And that makes me very excited. It sounds gory, but it's like the fact that these mountain lions are coming down to the beaches and eating seals is just amazing. So I'm studying them. This is my first time studying mountain lions in particular. So I'm kind of learning. I promise I won't make any deadly fatal mistakes. Um, but they're like, they're they're a lot like your house cat, like in a lot of ways, like, like how they move, you know, that like elegant, graceful way that they move. They have these tails though that I just think are so different from like pet cats because their tails are so long and strong. They're like, they're like a serious muscle. Like they could like knock a human over just with like one swing of that tail. It's really amazing. And the tails help them balance like when they're climbing trees. Like it's, it's incredible. They're such strong animals. And then mountain lions are what we call obligate carnivores. That means they will only eat meat, right? Like, you know, like your house cat could eat like cat food that's made of like, I don't know, beans or rice or, you know, whatever grains, like a mountain lion will only kill and eat meat. It's not going to like have a piece of fruit or some bamboo or like some rice, you know, no. So they are definitely like serious, serious predators. And that makes me really excited. So we're going to have some really great discoveries in the next couple of years. But, but, you know, my cousin, because I know you're in Santa Barbara, right? Which is Right. Mm-hmm. That's one of my favorite places in the world next to Vermont. Um, but and my cousin lives in Ventura, California. Oh, that's close. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and he used to teach at the University of San or he was the dean of discipline at the University of Santa Barbara. Obviously, that became a tough job. <laughs> and is 
Ooh. But, um, you know, I oftentimes worry about pets around mountain lions. Like how in the world you think you're, you know, you think you're living outdoor, even in Vermont, you think you're living outdoor. Like what can you do with your, your family dog to prevent like a tragedy? Well, thank you for asking this Marina, because people hate to hear this, but honestly, the only thing you can do is keep your pets inside. Like that's it. I mean, in, in California, at least like the number of pets that are killed by mountain lions is very, very high. And people use that as a reason to argue like there's too many mountain lions, like their their population is too big. They're coming into our areas like, you know, we need to like limit their, you know, how many there are. It's like, no, your cat is outside. Like that's normal. And whether it's mountain lions, whether it's coyotes, whether it's, you know, the occasional wolf, like your pets are not safe outdoors. They are not meant to be outdoors unless they're prey. I mean, even like a big hawk or an eagle could take your kitty cat and that is okay. So this is where like I am both giving like my my personal opinion and my scientific expertise match up. Like it is okay for these predators to eat people's pets. It is the pet owner's responsibility to keep your pets inside, period. Like if they're not doing anything out of the ordinary or wrong by coming into your backyard and taking little Fido or whatever and eating the dog food out of the bowl. So like pets belong inside. It sucks. I grew up in the 90s too when all of our pets were indoor, outdoor all the time. So like I've had to change too and it's hard, but that's just how it is. If you live in an area where there's wild animals, keep your pets inside. And that's just such a horrible argument to make that the animal that's preying on your pet is the problem. Like there's not evidence that there's so many dogs and so many cats that like can't even find homes because like shelters are full. You know what I'm like? It's just, it's too, it's too many of them. Like the population is so high I don't know what they're doing with this whole breeding situation because now you have all these backdoor breeders who are adding on to the population for dogs that once people have them, no longer want them and put them into the shelter. And then you just go through the same thing all over again. So it's like when I hear that argument, I'm immediately like, you clearly just pulled that out of nowhere because anyone who has even tried to research this would know that that is clearly not the case. And it's just a part of just the ecosystem of life. It's just how, you know, things work out. Um, but I am also because another thing that I've seen, and I'm not sure if this is true with cats specifically, sometimes it seems that like when you keep your cat indoors too long, they might have like uh, behavioral issues or versus when you allow them to go outside occasionally, not like all the mm-hmm. time, but mm-hmm. from time mm-hmm. to time. Is that true? Listen, it's true. And okay. this is like, it creates this weird situation <laughs> Where like, like people are now recommending, like scientists are now recommending that you like take your cat for a walk, like on a leash. That's a whole and thing on TikTok right now. Like people have There's like, a person in my neighborhood who walks his cat on a leash and he like, like I will see him and he does like a pretty comprehensive job. So there'll be times where he'll let the cat off the leash and like you know, the cat is trained to like come back, but he'll give the cat like 10 minutes and he'll kind of like stand in one spot in like a park and the cat like runs around and does whatever it does. And then like it comes back, they hand like he holds the leash and brings it back home. But yeah, I think most of us have kind of felt like, oh, like an indoor pet, like especially a cat, like it just doesn't seem like it's fulfilled. And yeah, and sometimes it can maybe go a little stir crazy. So have it like some people are like building like enclosed 
indoor outdoor spaces, you know, but essentially like house cats are really bad for biodiversity. So, you know, we are just we're having an extinction crisis, like like endangered species are going extinct and cats are actually like one of the leading causes of that. There are some big global forces, right? Like we have deforestation, we have climate change, we have like habitat destruction. We also have house cats when it comes to especially things like birds and lizards and small mammals. House cats like are one of the leading killers of migratory birds. So like some of the most beautiful birds that go from like the Amazon up to Canada and back, like house cats take them down. And so So again, like to be a responsible pet owner, you have to go through all these changes to figure out like, I think this, yeah, like wear bells and like get a leash or build some crazy kind of like aviary for your cat. I mean, it's like a lot goes into it, but we're really asking people to make that commitment so that we can have like both pets and biodiversity in this world. I think it was Brian. Was it Brian Free? I forget his name. He wrote a bu- he wrote a book about the birds and the cats. I read it. I can't remember his name though because he said something like racist, and then I stopped. <laughs> like Oprah had recommended him. He's a great he's a great author, and then uh, he said something like about black people and why he doesn't write black people into stories. And I was like, all right, well. But oh, that's so interesting about that because my cat. I had my cat for seventeen years. My cat used to always run around wildly at night. They called it like excess energy is what they called it. Yeah, the zoomies. (laughs) And I was like, what are you doing? But Billy, (laughs) I haven't said Billy on the show in a long time. People miss Billy, I'm sure. Billy could have never, like outside, no, no, no. Billy would go outside into the hallway, hear a noise, and then scamper back. And I was like, oh, God. But... That's interesting. Now, I don't want to keep you. I know you're a busy, busy individual. It's just, we were so lucky to have you. We're so lucky to have you. I am the luckiest to be on here. You know, I have to say, now that I host a podcast, I have so much appreciation for other podcast hosts. It is such a job. Isn't it? But also, like, the conversations that can sometimes take place are just really magical. Like, you can't just replicate them. You know, it's really, really nice. So I appreciate this so much. I am a huge fan of your show. I feel like we're real friends. We are. Um, we'll start with Venice. Thank you, Venice, for again joining me today. You you may want to come on more regularly because you're so good. <laughs> um, we can Venice work that can, out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Venice, tell our listeners where they can find you. Yes. Yes. So thank you so much for bringing me back. Um, Ray, it was such a pleasure talking and learning from you today. I was really excited to talk with you. And um, for me, you can find me at Sip and Spills across all social media platforms and pretty much anywhere. Um, we're on YouTube, anywhere that you find podcasts. It's at Sip and Spills, where again, we sip on drinks while spilling the tea on dating and relationships. And for today's episode, I would say with friends like us, we are going to save the animals one heart at a time. Aww. Oh, love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. All right. Ray? Okay. Well, Look, this I said was Ray because we're friends now. <laughs> yeah, because we're friends. Yeah. But for everyone else, Dr. Ray Wingrant. No, mm-hmm. I'm kidding. Um, so I am at Ray Wingrant on social media. I really enjoy social. I 
don't as much enjoy responding to DMs. So please like, like say something to me, like in the comments, like, like comment on something and I'm more likely to respond, but I really am. It's like going to be my new year's resolution. Okay. So January 1st, there'll be a new me and I'll respond to DMs, I promise. But <laughs> at Raywin Grant on all my social media, I especially like Instagram because I have really great pictures and videos from my adventures. So highly recommend it. Um, also, please check out my podcast, Going Wild with Raywin Grant, um, wherever you get your podcasts. It's hosted by PBS Nature. And let's see, with friends like us, we can bring our full selves to work. Oh, Yes. Mm -hmm. Thank you so mm -hmm. much for being like here. It. Marina Franklin here. Yes, this was a great episode. Just follow me, marinafranklin.com. We're bringing amazing women of color to you to get to know. And now you know how maybe you, even you can enter this field. So thank you so much. With friends like us, you become friends with doctors so you can call them by their first name. Yes. <laughs> goals. <laughs> Check, Check us, us out. out.